The violence problem has bothered me for a long time. I'm sure it's probably bothered you too. A number of years ago, I decided to take a group of brave pilgrims on a year-long journey through the Bible. It actually took us two years. So during this time, at some point, my saxophone playing son, Ross, was chosen to be in the all-district band. And the closing concert was performed in the auditorium at Mars Hill University. And as a part of the program, the Mars Hill University Choir sang a few songs. One of the numbers that they sang was our text. Oh, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down, hallelujah. You know, uh, it's a, a well-known African-American spiritual. And it was lively, and it was upbeat. I mean, they had us moving. Uh, they had us clapping. It was pretty awesome. It was one of those feel-good things, you know. They, they sang the, the choruses and the lyrics about Joshua uh, getting to the wall, sword in his hand, about Joshua saying, you know, blow those ram's horns because the battle is in my hands. A, a verse about the, the length of uh, the spears that they carried and, you know. And then they end it with Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. And the walls come a-tumbling down. Some think that slaves composed this song in the early to mid-1800s. And it's been recorded a lot, too. Elvis recorded this song in 1960. My favorite, though, is Mahalia Jackson's in 1958. You should YouTube that one. Mahalia Jackson was instrumental in the development and the spread of gospel blues in black churches all across the United States in her time, which, of course, was when racial segregation was pervasive. Some think that maybe the song alludes to uh, the escape to freedom. The walls come tumbling down, the escape from slavery. The song ends with the walls come tumbling down, but the story doesn't end there. Joshua and the army of the Lord, they keep going. So when my Bible study group finally arrived at Joshua 6, I was already deeply disturbed. You know, you read that the city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord, devoted to destruction. Now let me just read it in verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout, and the wall and the wall fell down flat. So the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. Then they devoted to destruction by the edge of the sword all in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys. Like, that's the kind of stuff you see in the movies, like a Mel Gibson movie or one of those Viking shows. It's not particularly something that you want your, your kids to see. 
And speaking of kids, I remembered that VeggieTales had an episode called Josh and the Big Wall. And so on my sermon study day, I decided to watch it, uh, curious about how they handled the story. Well, of course they softened it, but it's for kids. You know, the directive um, from the commander of the Lord's army was, the wall will fall down and then the city will be yours. And the little green peas who were on the top of the wall uh, in defense of the city, they were dropping uh, purple slushies down uh, on Joshua and the army. <laughs> you know, as disturbing as this devoted to destruction idea is, probably what's even more disturbing for me is that in this whole narrative, God ordains the violence. It's God's thing. So at the end of chapter 5, um, Joshua looks up and there's a warrior there, and the warrior has a drawn sword. And Joshua asks him, like, whose side are you on? Are, are you uh, with us or are you with our enemy? And this warrior says, neither. And the warrior introduces himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. And then he says to Joshua, rings very similar to what God said to Moses when God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. This warrior from the Lord says, the ground on which you're standing is holy, so you need to take off your shoes. People have been trying to make sense of this uh, for a long time. And one of the, the first persons to help me uh, get a handle on it was Dr. Victor Hamilton at Asbury College. Now, Dr. Hamilton uh, taught the Old Testament survey class that incoming freshmen uh, were required to take. And when that class uh, surveying the whole Old Testament, uh, came to the stories of Joshua. He too expressed the concern with the violence, but he was pretty quick to justify it, that uh, the violence was necessary because God's people were called to be holy. And these Canaanites, ah, they weren't holy at all. It, in fact, uh, the words that he used were, they were unredeemably evil. So that everyone and everything had to be destroyed. I can't say that that helped me with the whole thing too much. In our Bible study, uh, we were uh, using uh, Dr. Ellsworth Callis's book, The Grand Sweep. And as we were um, you know, journeying through day after day, week after week, um, Dr. Callis would, would offer comments, uh, commentary on the, the passages that we were reading and studying. And, and this is what he says. This is a bloody book. We need to put ourselves into the times and to understand something of the setting. The people Israel must be a holy people, altogether different from the nations around them. So purity is enforced vigorously. As for Jericho and the others still to come, 
They were seen as part of a culture whose iniquity had come to the had come to the full and upon whom judgment must now fall. And Israel is the instrument of judgment. I got out my Wesley Study Bible. Uh, Dr. John Oswald, uh, Old Testament scholar, was the one who wrote comments, you know, in, in the margins and at the bottom of the page. Uh, Dr. Oswald said, uh, of the warrior uh, of the Lord's army, the commander of the Lord's army, this man is evidently God or a representative of God in human form. The experience is a reminder that Joshua is not in ultimate command, and it's a reassurance that this is God's war. It's God's war. One of my favorite uh, go-to websites for studying stuff is the Bible Project. I think Dr. Tim Cook, uh, he's got one of those awesome, you know, cool voices and um, there's a lot of neat graphics. We actually, George Thompson and I, will use some of, some of these clips in our confirmation class. That's very informative. Um, I was like, what, what do they say about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho? And it was some of the similar kinds of things. But one of the things that, that, uh, that Tim Cook says is that we need to look at this story in the larger context of the whole story going all the way to the beginning when, when God created, going all the way to the Garden of Eden and, and the fall of humanity and then the enslavement of humanity and the, the story with, with Moses and the, the deliverance from slavery and all of that, uh, that God needed God's people to be pure. Like that, that was a part of the whole plan, you know, to, uh, to kind of have this new Eden uh, become a reality. I don't know. You know, it, it sounds good. It made sense to me. Robert Coop, Old Testament scholar with the New Interpreter's Bible. If we ask what God, what gave God the right to dispossess the Canaanites of their land, the scriptural answer is found in Genesis 9 where Noah curses his son Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. Blessed by Yahweh my God be Shem, who was an ancestor of Israel, and let Canaan be his slave. Now I'm familiar with this verse because I know that this is a verse in the Bible or a story in the Bible that was used for a long time by Christian people, by the church, to justify slavery. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that people can use to justify slavery. But uh, I, I think about uh, the English, you know, living under the tyranny of the king, and they escape to a new land, and they take it. It's an all-too-familiar story, but, uh, you know, uh, they used the same argument. Uh, these people are savages. They're barely even human. This is what sends me into a tailspin. It's verse 19. In verse 19, it says that they're to, to take the gold and they're to take the silver and they're to take the bronze and iron vessels. 
And they're to bring those to the Lord and put them into the Lord's treasury. You know why? Well, the Bible says that those things are sacred to the Lord. So, kill all the people, even the little guys, but keep the gold. That has always felt backwards to me. And so you see my dilemma. Like, I'm wanting to get at God's heart. Where's God's heart in all of this? Um, Adam Hamilton wrote a book called Making Sense of the Bible. And you know, there are a lot of layers to this story, this scripture that we uh, don't ever really want to mess with. One of the things is how we hold our Bible. It matters how we approach it. We've talked about this before. It matters how we read it. It's a very complicated, complex book. And it needs to be handled well. Uh, it, it needs to be interpreted. Uh, Adam Hamilton has a, actually a, a chapter in this book, um, God's Violence in the Old Testament. Uh, I wanted to, to share just a small paragraph, his, his take on this. If we understand the Bible as having been essentially dictated by God, then yes, we have no choice but to accept what is written as accurately describing God's actions and God's will. But if we recognize the, the Bible's humanity, that it was written by human beings whose understanding and experience of God was shaped by their culture, their theological assumptions, and the time in which they lived, then we might be able to say, in this case, the biblical authors were representing what they believed about God rather than what God actually inspired them to say. If we use Jesus' words and His great commandments as a colander, we'll see that these violent passages in the Hebrew Bible contradict not only these great commands, but the very life and ministry of Jesus, who was God's unmitigated Word. It's helpful. I want to close with Jesus and a prayer. <laughs> In Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, you know, sometimes he starts with a very familiar Old Testament text or saying, you know, like, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. And then a few verses later, he says, You've heard that it was said, uh, you shall uh, hate your enemy. Um, and he flips that one around too. Like if you are a child of God, then the life that you live is love. I say to you, Jesus says, that you're to love your enemy and you're to bless those who persecute you. Let us pray. The prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. 
where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. Amen.